Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Father God, we just come to you now and we just ask, Lord, you to do a miracle in our midst. Lord, we know that when we come to your word, your word is powerful. Your word is anointed. Your word is medicine. Your word is healing. Your word is you here speaking to us. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. So, Lord, we know that without faith, it's impossible to please you. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would move into the pleasure of you even now as we open our hearts and we open our minds to hear your word, to study your word, to receive your word, to believe your word, and then to walk out your word. Lord, I pray your favor and blessings and anointing upon each and every person here tonight, those that are tuning in, Lord God, and watching us live, and those that will be watching this at a later time or listening to it, if you're listening to it on the radio station, we just come to you even from this place, and we pray for the favor of God, the blessings of God, the wisdom of God, the anointing of God, and the power of God be with you to guide you and direct you in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now, Lord God, we just thank you for this opportunity and we just pray that you would be glorified in our studying of your word this evening. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Come on, we can do better than that. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You're awake here tonight, right? Amen. So we're going to study God's Word. And you know what? We, we have to constantly have our minds renewed by the Word of God. When we get saved, the Bible says all old has passed away and we become new, a new creation in Christ Jesus. So uh, there, we're this new creature in Christ and the old has passed away. But when we got saved, we looked in the mirror, we looked the same. If we had a mole on the right side of our nose, it hadn't moved to the left side of our nose. It was Everything was still the same. But we're this new creation, which means our, we're spirit, soul, and body. We serve a God who is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and He has created us in His image, and we are a trinity of creation. So our spirit man is born again. Our spirit man was dead in Adam, and it becomes born again, anew, alive in Christ Jesus. Praise God. But then there's the soulish realm that we have to live with, and that's our mind, our memories, our thoughts, our emotions, and all that we have. And uh, the Bible says that has to be renewed. That has to be renewed, which is our mind. And the Bible says that as we study the Word of God, the Word of God is what renews our mind. That we're not to be conformed into uh, the, uh, the mold of this world, pressed into the image of this world, but we're to be transformed. And that word transformed comes from a Greek word, metamorphi, which we get our word metamorphosis from. So there's this transformation kind of like a caterpillar going to a butterfly transformation that takes place by the renewing of our mind. So some of you may have come crawling in here tonight, but I'm praying that by the preaching of the Word of God and the renewal of your mind, you'll go flying out of here. Amen. That you'll take you to a whole nother level. And uh, then we know our bodies, that uh, God has given us is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we know that this body is temporary that we live in, but we want to take good care of this body. We know that the power of God can touch and, 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 and impact this physical body as Jesus demonstrated when He walked here on earth. And so as we saw when the apostles, we saw uh, throughout church history, even here in our 25 years, we've seen so many miracles that cannot be explained away by the re reasoning of man. So to God be the glory. But one of the things that we're doing here tonight is having our minds renewed. Because the enemy has really attacked us in the area of our mind. The enemy's greatest battle he brings to us takes place between our ears. Anybody shake it and nothing happens? Somebody shake it and a little bit rolls around and somebody shakes it and, and it's full. Uh, who's got there has got stuff rolling around in there? Anybody going to confess here tonight? <laughs> Amen. And uh, so we, we do have to have our minds renewed. So that's the important reason, one of the main reasons we're here tonight. And we're going to be looking at one of the, uh, I would say, one of the most strategic efforts of the enemy in coming in and causing us so much pain in our lives. And that is coming in with the spirit of rejection. A spirit of rejection. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Breaking the spirit 
of rejection. Now, I cannot cover this whole subject tonight, so this may be a series on Wednesday nights, the Lord willing, that we'll be doing, but we're going to delve into it tonight, and as we dive in, we're going to uh, open ourselves up to the Spirit of God, and we're going to close ourselves to the Spirit of rejection, and we're going to go from a caterpillar to a butterfly. We're going to go out of here healthier than when we came in. Because let me tell you what, I don't care how great you think you are and how protected you think you were, the enemy is sly. The enemy is a fox. The enemy has been at this since Adam and Eve and the creation of time. And he has got his strategies. Let me tell you, his strategies are fine-tuned. And he will find every opening and every weakness and every breakage he can to bring in this spirit of rejection. So tonight we're going to be breaking the spirit of rejection. And I pray in our closing prayer, some of you are going to feel so much lighter than, when you've, than what you've been operating under because you're going to recognize there's a spirit of rejection been trying to hang on me and I'm getting rid of it tonight. Hallelujah. So uh, rejection is a sense of being unwanted, unloved, or unimportant less valued. That's what that spirit of rejection tries to bring to us, that you're unwanted, that you're not imported, that you are unloved, which is the opposite of the very nature of God, for God is love, so that's what the enemy will do. He'll bring in just the opposite, and that you are uh, less valued. And I believe that the primary result of rejection is an inability for us to receive or to communicate love. See, a person who has never experienced being loved cannot transmit love because they've not learned, they've not experienced and felt love. That's why I believe the Scripture tells us in 1 John 4 and 19 that we love because God first loved us. And that's why I've seen some of the most hardened people and some of the most cruel people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and experience the love of God. And all of a sudden, a person, their, their spouse said they'd never seen a person their children said they'd never seen, emerges and there's this great person there, there's this loving person who maybe had been cruel and been hard and been cold and been many distant and all these things. All of a sudden, all that's changed when they embrace the love of God, when they're touched by the love of God. So we love, why do we love? Because God first loved us. And we want to introduce everybody we can to the love of God. We don't want to go around beating people over the head with the Bible. We don't want to go around telling everybody how horrible they are and how bad they are. They know that. They know that. What we want to introduce them to is a loving God who loves us so much that He said from the cross while we were yet sinners, He said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And while we were cursing His name, He died to redeem us. We want to introduce them to the love of God. And when they're touched by the love of God, let me tell you why. The love of God can change and transfer and, 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 and totally turn people around. I experienced this in my own life, so much so that I believe that the love of God was so powerful that I said, you know what, I believe it'll even work with animals. And I was, uh, went to a shelter and I found a dog and she was just a, looked like a sweetheart, but the, the people that worked there at the pound, they were afraid of her. She was a little Cujo, if you've ever seen that. And she was something else. She was a Maltese poodle mix, a, Mal a, a Maludo. And her name was Chelsea. And, uh, and they didn't say Maludo, but I thought that was cute. I said, I'm going to make her a Maludo, and she, her name's Chelsea. Well, she was demon-possessed, they thought, because she was a Cujo. And as cute as she was, she, nobody wanted, to, wanted her, nobody wanted to touch her. Well, that's the one I wanted because of that. And I adopted her, and, and I remember uh, taking her home in the cage and thinking, what am I going to do when I let her out? Well, I'll never be able to touch her again. She will, she, you know, I don't know. But I said, I'm going to love this dog. And I began to pray over her, and I began to speak uh, kind words over her, and I began to, you know, take care of her and feed her. And let me tell you what, she fell in love with me. She was the sweetest thing. She would do my tricks. I, when I started the church here 25 years ago and moved here, Chelsea was with me. I wasn't married at the time, so you know, it wasn't anything interesting about me, so I had my dog. And I'd bring her over and get her to do her tricks, and I'd say, Chelsea, I said, it's time for us to, to pray. 
and she would fall over and she'd cross her little paws and she would just lay there until I'd say amen. And sometimes I would extend it and wait uh, just to see if she'd be patient and that tail would start wagging. And then, she, and then I'd say amen and she would jump up. And, uh, and I said, okay, church is over. I said, what does all the grandmamas want to do? And I'd lean over and she'd kiss me on the cheek. You know, everybody's leaving the church and the grandmas want to kiss me on the cheek. And then I said, uh, oh, we forgot to take up the offering, offering time. And she would sit down and start begging. And, uh, and then I said, okay, daddy's preaching now. I'm preaching. And when I'd say preach, she would, she would go, ruff, ruff. she was amening me. She'd amen me. And, uh, and I'd tell her to sing, and she would sing. She, I mean, we'd put on quite the show. And everybody petting her and loving her. And I'm thinking, this dog, you wouldn't have touched her a year ago or two years ago, I guarantee you. And, uh, but the love of God changed even that dog who had been abused, and that's why uh, they told me she had been turned in by the lady who had her, that the husband she had was an alcoholic, and he would try to get at his wife by being cruel to the dog. And he would kick, and she was afraid of feet. She was afraid of boots, really. And uh, she had been really uh, damaged. They said when she came in, she was physically hurt, and they had to doctor her back uh, from that. But the, mother, the, the, the mom of the house wasn't going to allow it anymore and gave her up. Well, I got her, and she lived with me for a number of years, and, and she was my little show dog. And, uh, but let me tell you what, the power of God's love can even touch a canine. It can change a dog. And if it can change a dog, it can change you, and it can change me. Praise God. So we love because God first loved us. See, it is the love of God that stimulates our love for Him. And, and love lies dormant until it's stimulated by another person. And that's why we need to share the love of God with others. We don't need to go and condemn and criticize others. We need to share the love of God with others because as you share the love of God with others, you don't know the abuse. You don't know the rejection. You don't know the fear. You don't know the torment they've lived in. And, and by you shining the warmth and the love of God in relationship with them, it will it will call to a life. It will call to the surface that love of God in them. An example would be a little girl, let's say Sarah. Our daughter that was playing the keyboard, Morgan, when she was a little girl, uh, just a little thing, she uh, named her baby Sarah. See, she named every baby Sarah. I don't know where that came from. I'd be surprised if she didn't name her first daughter Sarah many, many years up the road because she's only 13. But um, this girl Sarah, let's say she uh, has a wound of rejection, uh, and because of that, she cannot communicate love purely. So she grows up and she marries and she becomes a mother. She has a daughter. And because she cannot communicate love to her daughter, her daughter has the same rejection, has that same spirit of rejection come on her and that problem. And usually from generation to generation, it even gets worse. Now the rejection goes into the next generation. And then we see as you study families and study family generations, this thing can pass on from generation to generation. And let me tell you what, I say it needs to be stopped. I've learned firsthand and personally that you don't have to live under a generational curse. You need to identify a generational curse and you need to, in the name of Jesus, put a stop to it. Put your foot down and say it stops with me. I know I grew up in a family uh, that on the men's side, there was alcoholism and a lot of drug abuse and alcoholism and infidelity, and it just seemed to be the norm. It just seemed to be everything. Uh, the, the grand, the, the, the fathers, the uncles, uh, cousins, it just seemed that, that was just uh, standard. It was standard. But I saw the brokenness it caused in our home and the pain that it brought into our home and the loss that it brought into our home. And I remember uh, saying, when I just got a first revelation of the authority of God in us is greater, God in us is greater than any gods of the world, little g, you know, for greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And I said, you know what, I'm going to activate that. And I put my foot down and I said, alcoholism stops here. Addiction stops here. And, and, and this uh, lack of education stops here. And we're going to turn this thing around. I remember saying that and I stomped my foot down so hard that, that it could have been heard in rooms and rooms of, uh, down the hallway because I said, it's over. And, and, it's, it's, and I was serious. And I said, in the name of Jesus, because I didn't really have the authority to do it, but I'm using my authority that God has given me in Christ and I put a stop to it 
And let me tell you what, now we've got our children and there's no addiction and there's none of this stuff. That, that is not even thought of or, or, or in our home. And it's not because of the goodness of me, but it's the goodness of God. God does not want you in bondage. God does not want this thing going from generation to generation. I'll prove it to you. If you'd look in Ezekiel chapter 18, look at what he says in verses 1 and following. The word of the Lord came to me. The word of who? The Lord. So this is the word of the Lord. This is God speaking here now. He says to, came to me, What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? Well, the parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. In other words, they were, they were quoting this proverb that they were saying that, that what has happened to us is even going to be more sour upon our children. It is something that is going to affect our children and our children's children. And God says, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this. Stop quoting this, he said. For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child. Both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. So the one that is committed to doing what is wrong is going to open the door to bring the destruction. But he says, I'm going to make a way. And we knew that way was Jesus Christ. He was talking about uh, in a shadow here that there is coming the one, the way, that is going to be opened up to us that in and through what Jesus has accomplished, we can put a stop to this thing going to the next generation and it would not affect the children or the children's children. Hallelujah. So even if your parents never showed you love, God does not want your children to suffer for their mistakes. By accepting God's provision, you can cut off the evil inheritance. Now I know all of us, we thank God for a good inheritance, and, uh, but we none of us should be uh, in line for an evil inheritance. We need to cut it off in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Did you know rejection is so bad? I know we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to discuss it, but it needs to be discussed. It is so bad that it is said that it is the worst pain the human spirit can suffer. Rejection. These scientists, they did this uh, a study and they placed people in a functional MRI machine and they asked them while they were in the machine to recall their most recent rejection. And what they saw amazed them. Do you know what they saw? They saw that the same area of the brain that, that came alive, it was activated when they recalled this uh, rejection experience, is the same part of the brain that uh, comes alive when we experience physical pain. So you could drop a cement block on your foot and the same part of your brain lights up as when you're rejected. That is how painful rejection is. No wonder rejection hurts so much. No wonder Satan has come in and trained every evil demonic spirit, spirit that is under him to take advantage of us in areas of vulnerability, to bring in a spirit of rejection. I guarantee you every one of us in here have been affected, and maybe even today, our lives are somewhat squelched because we're still under the effect of a spirit of rejection. See, rejection is at the root of so many of our problems. We look at emotional problems that we find as you do a study, you find there at the root is a spirit of rejection. You go in and you do relational problems and why is so much uh, volatility and why is there so much pain and, and brokenness in relationship and uh, no longevity in relationship and you find the spirit of rejection at work. You go into our social issues, our social problems, there is rejection. You get into our financial problems and, and, and why someone is not able to keep a job or why someone will not step out and use the gifts and the talents that God has given them effectively in the workplace or many other scenarios that come in and you'll find there was a spirit of rejection. And did you know they, they have come in and they said uh, this spirit of rejection has also come in to cause so many of our health problems as root causes of diseases in our bodies. See, when we are rejected by others, 
Well, it doesn't stop there. The enemy comes in and the next thing you know, we turn it on ourselves. So when we're rejected by others, we often reject ourselves. And that is, that is a ploy. That is the trick of the enemy. He knows the Scripture. You remember Satan quoted the Scripture to Jesus. The devil quoted partial and twisted Scripture to Adam and Eve. He, and here he knows as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23 and 7 says to us. So the enemy wants us thinking in our heart that we are rejected, that we are no good, that we will never uh, uh, measure up, that we don't have the right value. And he brings this into our heart and he plays it over and over so that that is who we become. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. I want to shine a spotlight on it tonight. I want to expose it. And I want us to break that spirit of rejection that is trying to hold you back. See, the final result of rejection is the inability to receive or communicate love. And here God is love. And this basically cuts us off from God. It cuts us off from Him, and it leads to fear. It leads to this sense of fear in our lives because the greatest damage rejection causes is this is self-inflicted. And, and, and the enemy brings it in, but the next thing you know, we pick it up and we keep carrying it. We keep carrying it. I'm here to tell you we need to identify, wait a minute, devil, you've been lying to me. I believe the lie, and I've been carrying the lie, and I'm, I'm dumping the lie tonight. I'm getting rid of the lie tonight because I'm not going to live with phobos in my life or fear in my life, fear of God and fear of others and fear of my destiny and fear of stepping out and fear of, of challenges. I'm going forward in whom God has called me to be. Hallelujah. So I bring good news to you tonight. I bring great news to every one of you tonight. You need to look at somebody right now and say, he said great news. Come on. He said great news. Hallelujah. God can heal you from the wounds of rejection. We're not here to deny that there hasn't been some rejection. We're not here to rewrite and revise history about your rejection. We are here to encourage you that God can and will heal you from the wounds of rejection and help you accept yourself and enable you to let His love flow in and through you the way you were created. Praise God. Hallelujah. But before you can receive this, we need to take a few moments and recognize the nature of our problem. Because if we just, if we just ignore, oh, we don't have a problem, there are no symptoms, then the next thing you know, uh, we're not taking care of it. So let's do that. Rejection produces three kinds of people. As the spirit of rejection takes root, you're going to see three kinds of people. The first kind of person is going to be the one that just keeps a smile on their face and they give in. They just give in. They surrender. They're not happy about it. There's so much internal conflict. There's pain. But they just put on a smile. They put on the fake front and they just give in and say, let, let, let it have its way. Then there's those, there are those that when rejected, they get very defensive. They put up walls. They're the ones that pull away from society. They pull away from friendships. They pull away from spouses. They pull away from children. They pull away from their parents. And they go into isolation. That spirit is trying to get this, this type of personality into isolation because while they're in isolation with their defensive walls built up, the enemy's the only one that's bringing a voice there. So they're hearing nothing but the enemy continually spewing that vomit of hell in their lives and they get worse and worse and worse. And then there's a third type of person that responds to rejection and that's the fighter. I don't know if you've ever met the fighter. They're angry. They're angry about everything. They're mad. It takes just like that. I mean, like that. Somebody slows down in front of them in the, in the causeway or somebody uh, 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 don't turn a blinker light on and moves in front of them. They're ready to road rage. They're ready to fight. They're ready to pull out a weapon. They're ready to, you know, they're, they're cursing and yelling at them and, and, and driving up on their bumper. The same thing happens in a restaurant when things don't come just right. They get upset. And these waitresses and waiters, they tell us these stories about some of the people that they experience. And then, you know, it's happening in the home with the husband and the wife, happening with the children. They're just angry. They fight because they've had this spirit of rejection bring a wound in their life. They're, it's like they're angry at the world. They're mad at everyone. And let me tell you what, when the enemy gets either one of these 
that, that spirit of rejection is getting more and more rooted and will cause more and more damage in your life. Now, some people say, well, how does rejection come in? Well, we know that it comes through actions, uh, very negative actions, but usually the enemy, with his strategy, tries to bring rejection in the younger we are. Now, we do deal with rejection as we get older, but he tries to bring the root of rejection, that spirit of rejection in, while we are still very young and in our developmental ages or, or that we're growing up. So Satan's priority target and his strategy is children. We've got to be very careful how we handle our children, how we raise our children, how we speak to our children. And we've got to be very careful how we let other authority figures handle and speak to our children. Because I'm th I've been counseling for 30 years as a pastoral counselor, and the thing I hear is a teacher in the sixth grade told me this, or a coach when I was in Little League said this. And, and it's like, why are you allowing what that person said so many years ago still affect you as an adult today? You're running a company, you've got children, you've got a spouse, and you're still letting that teacher from the fourth grade and what they said rule in your mind and in your life because that was the, the strategy of the enemy to get in while we're very young and to bring that into our lives. We look over the generations and I can tell you this is a very uh, kind of very general overview so I'm not coupling everybody because you can't when you do a generalization you've got to realize all of us are unique and individuals but uh, as you look back over the generations, you can see some of the strategy of the enemy and how he maximized what he wanted to do because of what that generation was going through. You can go back to what they call the silent generation or the working generation. Those, you know, basically born between 1925 and 1945, known as that working generation. That spirit of rejection came in as pregnant women dreaded bringing children into the harsh circumstances that they were going through during those times. They, they, they were excited in one part that they were having a child, but another part, that the life was tough, life was hard. And bringing a child into this environment, and they brought, brought a dread, and that opened the door for the spirit of rejection. There was the Great Depression that was going on, and, and the war that was taking place, and wars, and, and just, there was ration lines, there was so much, it was very, very hard for families to survive. And, and work value equaled your worth value in that day because everybody on deck, all hands on deck, or we're not going to make it. And uh, this generation, it's like the enemy brought in this lie that you're going to submit to authority only to survive, but you're going to resent the authority because you had, to, you had to submit to the authority to survive. Man. Boy, the enemy took advantage of these wars that are going on, took advantage of the depression, took advantage of the financial uh, collapse. And, and there he found an open door to bring in the spirit of rejection. Well, here the silent generation, this working generation, is working and working and working, and their values equaled with their, their work, and, and if not, there's rejection there, so they're working so hard. And then now comes up the next generation, the baby boomers. The baby boomers were post-war. You got you know, everybody's now going to have babies, and next thing you know, the enemy says, "Ah, I see what's going on here. Value is placed on stuff. We've come out of the depression. We've come out of the wars. We've come out of lack. We've come out of being in ration lines. We've come out of uh, not being able to have, and now we're going to have it. We're going to make sure we have stuff. Well, I'm going to give my children what I did not have." It's kind of like vicariously living through our kids. We're going we're gonna to make sure they had everything I wish I would have had. And value becomes placed on things. And, 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 this, and, and this importance of time kind of uh, wanes to the side because we're not spending that quality time now because both parents are, are starting to work outside the home and, and there is the rebuilding generation. Uh, you know, there's post-war, there's Cold Wars going on. And these children... Because so much is, you know, no, no authority is really always there for them because this is the day and age where a lot of uh, babysitting started coming in and, and, and child care started coming in. So this generation had a lot of stuff, but they challenged authority. 
because authority was not something that they respected the way the working generation who submitted to authority did. And boy, you move up to 1965, that's the year I was born, May 3rd, right there almost in the middle of it, coming into 1979, Generation X. I don't like that name, but that's the name that uh, society has pretty much put on our generation. And the focus on stuff more than relationships ushered in a destructive force that ripped marriages apart, ripped them apart. And over a half of married people now become divorced. Most, most of our, half of our homes become divorced, a phenomenon that had never been known before. So now children are coming out of uh, half of them. One out of every two is living in a divorced home. Both parents are working, and they're working from separate homes. So now kids are having to learn to have two homes. There's mom's home, and there's dad's home. And these children turn this thing with the help of the, end of, uh, with the enemy to become very individualistic. They become very self-centered, and, 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 and they're uh, very flexible in one sense, to, for themselves that they are not loyal to a person or a relationship. They're loyal to what works. So they play the game, whatever's working, and they play parents against parents and, and all of this stuff. And, and they, that's the generation that has the tendency, if the enemy has his way, they ignore authority. They ignore authority. Wow. Boy, this is getting into a dangerous situation, it looks like. And the enemy looks like he's winning. But the church is coming against this with the Word of God and the teaching of God. The Spirit of God is available to each and every one. And we don't have to be the statistics. We don't have to be the generalization. That's the good news. Because the Generation X gives way to Generation Y or the Millennials, 1980 to 1999, a generation very tech-savvy, very tech-savvy and family-centric. They're tired to see it, and they want family, even if it's an alternative family, if it's a new created order of family, but they want to have a family that they can control. They're very achievement-oriented with high expectations. They're team-oriented. They, they want to be included. They don't want to be by themselves anymore. They don't like that. They, want, they don't want to uh, try and make it on their own. They want to make it with a group. Uh, Tension-craving uh, generation. They want feedback. They want guidance. Very sensitive in relationships. And the enemy there again comes in, and he uses those sensitivities to bring in brokenness and hurt and pain to bring in a spirit of rejection. And this generation is indifferent to authority because they don't trust authority because now this tech-savvy world has exposed the hypocrisy of so much authority that others used to think was so holy, you might would say, using a biblical term for a secular uh, uh, world, and now they're indifferent to authority. And they're like, so what, you know? And uh, so that gives way to what they call Generation Z. And that's those in 2000 to 2017. And they say this is a new silent generation. Because now with our communication on the internet, rather than having a conversation, we'll sit there and text each other. In the same room. In the same room. Parents say, in order to get my kids to do something, I text them. They're sitting right there. But I'm, I, you know, if I try to communicate with them, we'll have an argument or whatever, I'll just text them. I need you to do so and so. And there's uh, all of this Snapchatting and messaging and all the other stuff that I don't know. My kids know, but I don't know. And, uh, and they are silent generation because they're losing their uh, communication skills in the sense of face-to-face -face because they're relying so much on emails and emails are even outdated. Snapchat's more important and this and that and the other. I'm told by my kids on certain things you can only post once a day or once a week. Other things you can post five or six things one day. I remember I set up a... Was it a Pinterest or what did I set up that uh, you're not supposed to put but one or two on was Instagram? I set up an Instagram account. I said, I'm going to stay up with these kids. And I posted like 10 things and they're like, Dad, Morgan, I remember, Dad, you don't do that. And I said, why? I said, the, the more you do, the more you get involved. And I said, no, you just don't do that. that that's Facebook. That's for old people. And uh, this is Instagram. And I said, why is Facebook for old people? I said, wait a minute. And she said, oh, because that's where all the parents are to check up on their kids. So they are now over on Instagram. 
And she said, now you're on Instagram. And I said, do you have a problem with that? She said, no, sir. <laughs> so this Generation Z, and they have that, the enemy wants them to question authority. Everything can be questioned. Everything can be challenged. See, Satan is targeting children throughout the generations. No matter what generation we're born in, no matter what our circumstances are in life, he is finding the vulnerabilities and he's finding the, you might would say, the openings so that he could bring in this spirit of rejection. And, and he targets children through absentee parents and he char targets children through divorce and abuses and, and he finds the door wide open in those circumstances and he comes in. And, and the enemy also targets adults, especially in marriage. It's like we make ourselves most vulnerable in the marriage, the holy marriage covenant, and there the enemy wants to use that to bring in a spirit of rejection. And when rejection comes in later in life, sometimes, say after we marry, the, you know, the woman wants a prince charming, but she ends up with a frog, you know, and that happens a lot. And the enemy uses that to bring a lot of pain. So rejection gives way for a rejection spirit or spirit of rejection. Just to be rejected or deal with rejection, we all have to do that. But uh, it's in that wound of rejection that the enemy tries to bring the infection of a rejection spirit. So every rejection, every wound of rejection is not uh, a, a, a spirit of rejection. Every wound of rejection is we've, had, we've dealt with rejection. And that's going to happen. We need to be prepared for that. We need to learn how to deal with that. And when you find your acceptance in Jesus Christ and you find the love of God and the righteousness of God and, and all of who He is, that He's given Himself to you and your relationship, and He's not going to reject you. The Bible says there's no shadow of turning with God. So when you get confident in your love relationship with God, it helps you to deal in this life with rejection wounds, and those rejection wounds do not become infected with rejection spirit. Because the spirit of rejection, when it gets in there, he goes straight to work. I mean, that, that, that spirit goes straight to your mind, begins working on your mind, because as a man thinks, so is he, and he tries to use that opportunity while the infection of that spirit is in your spirit man to truly mess up your mind. Here is a, kind of a progression when a wound of rejection comes if we do not handle it properly and have a healthy relationship with the Lord, you are very vulnerable for that infection of an, a rejection spirit, which also brings in another infection, I would call, is a lying spirit. They work together. A rejection spirit has to work with a lying spirit. And Satan is the father of lies, so we know that there's a fresh supply of lies flowing straight from the enemy into our lives if we're open to that. See, a lying spirit will bring to our mind lies from the devil. You're not wanted. You're not loved. You're not appreciated. You're not good enough. You're not special. Anybody ever hear that uh, in your life? I'm telling you, it's just, you're, you're just not good enough. You're just not loved. You're, nobody wants you. You really, you are a joke. I mean, the enemy will lie to you. I'm telling you, he lied to me at 17, and he got me to the brink of almost killing myself to get out of the, the pain of the lie and the rejection that he was bringing to me. What you got to learn to do, if you keep listening to those lies, he's going to bring death. And it may be death in relationships. It may be death in your career. It may be death in your health. You, you start dying early. But you need to identify these lies, rebuke these lies. The Bible says, draw near to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So we need to not just be idle. We need not to just be passive when the enemy brings the attack on us. We need to identify this is an attack from the enemy. This, this rejection has opened up a wound. In this wound, the enemy is trying to bring a spirit of rejection to come in with a lying spirit and to keep this, uh, you might would say, this disease going on to try and take me out. 
And as much as you would fight a cold or you would fight an, a physical infection in your body or you would fight an enemy that's trying to break into your home and, and, and to take your life away, we need to learn to fight in the spirit realm as well. We wouldn't let a thief just break into our house. Let's say you've got a 12-gauge shotgun and you know how to use it and you've got it loaded with buckshot, and there's someone breaking into your house screaming, as soon as I get through this door, I'm going to cut you to pieces. I'm going I'm to kill you and every one of your family members in there. And there you're standing with the power to stop this. Would you not stop it? Would you not stop it? And the same is true. The enemy is trying to break in. When rejection comes, we have to deal with rejection. That's just a part of dealing with people. And the enemy is trying to use that to break into your soulish realm and into your mind and bring a lying spirit in there to destroy you and rape you and ruin you and kill you. And you're just going to stand there idly and let it happen? No! You have to understand what is happening. You have to understand the consequences if I don't do anything. And then you have to understand what power you do hold in your hand. And you have the power of the Word of God. You have the power of the name of Jesus. Jesus has given us the right to use His name. He said, in my name you'll cast out devils. So the devil's trying to come in. You say, in the name of Jesus, you lying spirit, go. You, you uh, uh, rejection spirit, go. You demonic spirit, go. In the name of Jesus, I'm using the authority that I have. And by the word of God, I resist the devil and you must flee. And you rebuke the devil. And when you do that, believe you me, he responds. He has to respond. He will, only, he will never respond though if you never act on your authority. And you'll never act on your authority if you don't know what your authority is. Hosea tells us, uh, says, God said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Let me tell you what, it's time we, we smarten up. We've gotten smarter in the physical and health issues. We've gotten smarter in financial and wealth issues. We've gotten smarter in relational issues. And we've gotten smarter in so many. We need to get smarter in spiritual issues. We need to understand that there is more going on in the unseen realm than there is in the seen realm. And we must understand the teaching of God's Word that that which is happening in the unseen realm is going to last for eternity and this which is happening in the seen realm is temporary and passing away. And we're going to give more attention and more study and more action and more authority to this which is passing away. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So we must understand how the enemy works. He'll come in starting at childhood. I'm, he'll try to give you the mindset that you're not accepted, that you're not wanted, that the other kids in the house are more important to you, that they, they're more special than you and trying to uh, play the birth order and play the favorite child syndrome again. It's all the enemy. It's all the enemy. I know what that feels like and I know in our household I made it a purpose and a plan and I know I haven't been perfect at it, but I've told all three of our kids, if I say one thing to one, I say it to all three. If, if I say, you know, Townsend, I love you. Morgan, I love you. Caleb, I love you. And if the other one's not there, I'll even say it. And Caleb's not here, but I love him too. You know, because I'm just trying my best to use as much wisdom as I can not to allow any wounds from a, a, an authority figure to come in. But do you think I've caused wounds in their life? Townsend, you want to come testify? <laughs> uh, I guarantee, I, I know I have. Because, the, let me tell you what, none of us are, are, are perfect, especially at parenting. Any perfect parents in here? I didn't see any hands. Okay. Man, as Pastor Rodica was saying on Sunday morning, you know, uh, children, they don't come with a step-by-step -step manual, but we, we get a divine manual that helps us with the principles and the precepts of how to raise them and the admonition of the Lord. Uh, but we don't get that step one, step two, day one from the hospital. I remember they sent us home with Townsend, and, and I drove up uh, here. There was a little parson, a little brick house sitting here, and I drove up, and I'm like, they really gave him to us. I mean, that thing I just couldn't get my mind around. They gave us this helpless little thing, you know. And I'm like, what, am we, what are we going to do with him? You know, it just, I mean, it just, 
I know most of you laugh and you say, ah, oh, you didn't have the parenting gene. I, don't, I must not have. Because it just blew my mind that these educated, trained nurses and doctors would give this helpless, little, innocent, so vulnerable little creature to me to go home with, and I had never raised one of these things. And I'm like, wow. And I remember cutting his uh, wrist, uh, wristband off and thinking, wow, we just took him from the professionals to the unprofessionals, to those who know, to those who don't know. And he's 19 and survived, praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> but there is no manual that was given for them. So, but I know as I've studied the Word of God and lived life, how the enemy works. So I'm trying everything I can as a, as a person in authority because a person in authority causes, has a greater impact on people. That's why the enemy will use a person in authority. See, if a person will use a doctor to say... You, you have no chance, and uh, you have no hope. Uh, this cancer is all over your body. There is no hope. When they say that, there's, there's more of a chance, and I've seen in the history of my, in the ministry, that those people are going to, if the doctor says you got four weeks, four weeks, they got. Because of that position of authority. Thank God we got doctors in our house who understand that they have an authority, but their authority is under a greater authority. And they always say, now, the, now with God, all things are possible. With God, He's a miracle-working God. We're not here trying to build your hope up in a sense of what I can do, but let me tell you what, God is a healing God. Hallelujah. And, and I appreciate and respect and honor the physicians in this house because they take that stance. But that's why the enemy will use a person in authority. They will use a person in authority uh, like a teacher or a coach to bring pain and to bring rejection and to bring uh, harsh words that the enemy can use to bring in that spirit of rejection. And the enemy just is always looking for that. And when, when that spirit of rejection comes in, it inflames insecurities, it inflames fears in our lives. These demons seek to undermine the Christian true standing before God, that we're saved and we're cleansed and we're redeemed children of God and make us feel like that we're going to hell, that we can't do anything right, that nobody loves us, God doesn't love us, the atoning work of, cro of the cross is not really for us, and our righteousness in Christ is not really a true righteousness. And the enemy inflames all of this through that open wound of rejection that he brings in that brings also with it that lying spirit. Because the lying spirit comes between family members to divide brothers and sisters and make them feel isolated. The family of God is a church, but also the, the family, the blood family. The enemy does not like the blood family. He does not like that because that is a representation and a shadow of the family of God. And the marriage relationship is, is a type of Christ's relationship with the church. As he's the bridegroom and we're the bride of Christ. And the enemy wants to mar that. He wants to mix it up. He wants to change the family. Make the family twisted, make the family divided, make the family not the traditional family because he does not want the reflection here on earth of, of, of our Creator God in heaven. He wants to distort. He wants to change it up. And when we see things going on in society that wants to redefine the family, you can know there's a spirit behind that and it's not the spirit of God. And it's not the spirit of tolerance and it's not the spirit of acceptance. It is a demonic spirit that is trying to twist, turn, and change the reflection of us who are created in the image of God to distort it to pretty much get over, over on God. And the church, we have to recognize what the enemy is doing. And we say, well, before we go out here and try to change the, uh, uh, maybe the, the legislation or change anything out here that is trying to redefine family, we need to first start practicing it at home. You know the old saying, you gotta, you got to practice what you preach, right? So we got to recognize that in our own homes, this lying spirit has been trying to separate and divide brothers and sisters and get us isolated and husbands and wives and children and, and parents to divide them. And, 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 and the spirit of rejection pours gasoline on these uh, 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 divisions to try and make, it, make us take offense, hold on the, uh, to the offense, 
and let the offense cause a root of bitterness to get rooted up in us. And from that, the Bible says, all trouble comes. So all your trouble is going to be coming from a root of bitterness that you allowed because you didn't deal with a spirit of rejection which came in with its twin, a lying spirit, through some offense or some wound of rejection. And the spirit of rejection pours gasoline on fires of racial hatred. That's exactly, we see this stuff in society. We see it all around us and we got to recognize and understand where it's coming from. See, this demon is very successful in splitting up marriages and splitting up churches and splitting up businesses and splitting up partnerships. Let me just say it this way. How many of you are married in here? Wave at me. I didn't say you're happily married. I just said you're married. Come on now. How many of you are happily married? Wave at me. Praise God. If you're married, the devil is after your marriage. Did you know that? You are not on, what is it, uh, R&R? You get sent home from the battlefield on R&R, rest and relaxation. Is that what it is? And you go home and you don't even need your weapon because you're at home away from the battle on R&R. Let me tell you what, there is no R&R. The enemy is after your marriage. He is trying to use every weakness he can in your partner and in you to bring an opening. He doesn't need much. He doesn't need much of an opening, just a little crack, and he's going to come in with that spirit of rejection. He's going to come in with that lion spirit. He's going to bring a spirit of fear. He's going to come in with everything he can to try and get a root of bitterness established so he can divide and destroy and conquer your marriage. If you have children, let me tell you parents, and let me say to you children, the enemy wants to divide you. He will try to highlight every imperfection of your parents, and parents, he will try to highlight every imperfection of your children to find entrance so that he can come in and bring these demonic hordes to bring destruction and division in the family. Your marriage represents the relationship of Jesus with the church and Satan hates it and is trying to destroy it tonight. You say, well, we've been married 122 years. Let me tell you what, if you're still breathing, he's after your marriage. You need to know and you need to uh, arm yourself with the whole armor of God not to win the world. Yes, we want to win the world, but we need to make sure we're winning in our home first. That will empower us and position us to be more effective in the world. That's why Jesus said you start in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. You can't go fight the devil to try and help someone else's marriage when you're not willing to fight the devil to save your own marriage. Come on now, I think we should get a little more amens than that. Because let me tell you what, the devil's too successful at splitting up marriages and splitting up families, children with their parents and grandparents. The devil's too effective at splitting up churches. I've seen churches. I've talked to pastors who used to pastor and they're no longer in the pasture. Their church no longer even exists. And I'll say, what happened? And he starts telling me the story and I'm like, wow, look at what the devil did. Look exactly what the devil did. The devil tries to destroy and divide businesses. He tries to break up partnerships. Let me tell you what, you need to understand what he's after and you need to know what you need to do to keep him from being successful. These vital relationships that, that the enemy wants to destroy, the Holy Spirit wants to empower. And if greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, we shouldn't be losing. We shouldn't give up. We shouldn't say we're outnumbered. We need to learn how to fight and to use the power of the Spirit of God and the armor of God and the weapons of our warfare which are not carnal but mighty through God to pulling down strongholds and we need to take back our marriages, take back our home, take back our children, take back our parents, take back our businesses, take back our lives and, and, and to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. So we want to diagnose rejection. Let's Just give me four more minutes. Diagnose rejection, okay? First, we need to examine the circumstances. Were you the last one that was picked on a sports team or at a task? Were you not accepted in the college you desired? The enemy will use these things. 
Did you get turned down from that job that you really, really wanted? Did you grow up with an alcoholic parent or alcoholic parents or drug addiction? Were your parents divorced? Were you ever abused physically, mentally? Were you ever abused sexually? Have you been abandoned or betrayed in a marriage? Have you ever suffered from discrimination? Have you ever had to break away from a controlling relationship that was suffocating the very life out of you? Have you been repeatedly devalued as a person? If you fit any of these categories that I've just mentioned, then you've been dealing with rejection. And that rejection has wounded you. And the question is, has it wounded you to the point where a spirit of rejection came into your life? If it has, you need to identify it tonight and you need to not even give it opportunity to pack its bags. You need to evict it and get it out tonight. Another uh, diagnosis is our emotions and our emotions. Do you have great difficulty receiving correction? How dare you tell me I'm doing it wrong? You have that problem receiving correction. Do you take it personally and get offended? Do you resent authority? Speak down on authority. Undermine authority. Do you get angry for no apparent reason? Least little thing, you fly off the handle. Or do you have an unnatural need for everyone to like you? And if everybody's not in love with you and liking you, that thing really bothers you. So do you need this approval uh, of everybody around you? Do, do you have insecurity that just sweeps over you? And, and you just don't know why, but this insecurity is there. These fears start rising up. Are you plagued by chronic self-doubt? Yes, I'm going to do this. We're going to do this. No, maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, I should. I'm turning it in. No, maybe I shouldn't. I'm going to sign up. for. No, maybe I shouldn't. Yes, I'm going to hit sin. No, no, cancel, cancel. Oh, it went through. Oh, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? Always questioning yourself. Do you wrestle with chronic bouts of loneliness? You can be in the midst of people, but... It's the spirit of loneliness just comes over you. We're doing a diagnosis here. At times, are you tempted to take your own life or wish you were dead? Maybe even say that, boy, everybody would be better off if I was dead. I wish I was dead. Do you feel impotent and inadequate and you're really not making a big difference in this world? Do you ever feel unaccepted and feel like you're doing something wrong or you're always giving the wrong impression? You're always being misread. That, that's a diagnosis that the spirit of rejection is at work. And, that, and I call it a, an infection. That, it's really spirit realm, but I'm just using that terminology. It needs to go. We need to get the antibiotics of God's Word and the Holy Spirit flowing tonight. Full, full flow. And then here's the third and final one in these areas to examine ourselves is our thoughts. What kind of thoughts run through your mind when you're with a group of people? Would you characterize these thoughts as mostly negative or mostly positive? See, the spirit of rejection inserts these kinds of thoughts when you're in a group. These people don't really like me. These people really wish I wasn't here. These people don't love me. They won't talk to me. I'm not worthy to be here. I know they're judging me. Look at that person right there. He's thinking something bad about me right now. Look at you. What, how dare you, you know? They don't really want me here. I'm just going to leave. And you have the tendency to always find an exit. You're looking and there's an exit and there's an exit and there's an exit. You, you find your exits uh, before you really enter a room. I'm telling you, this is mental torment that typifies the spirit of rejection. And, and some people have been able to bounce back from rejection and carry on with their lives as if nothing ever happened. And, and, and then there's some who have experienced a deep, emotional, damaging, life-changing experience that has caused them to have psychological uh, pain and, 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 and affected relationships and the battle's been going on and they have to self-medicate or they go and try to find other types of medication uh, to try and numb this or to help this and, and they're living their lives below the level of that which God has called them to do. Rejection, that spirit of rejection. The ones who bounced back, the rejection came, but the spirit of rejection didn't get in. The one that is affected by it after the rejection comes is the one that the enemy got the spirit of rejection, the spirit of lies, and the spirit of fear, and the spirit of sabotage, and everything else in. 
what we want to do is put a stop to it. And I can't put a stop to it for you as you can't put a stop to it for me over my life. But we can put a stop to it if we'll exercise the authority God has given us. And what I want us to do is, the Lord willing, next week I'm going to look at and to help, you to help us discover the many pitfalls uh, and the divine rescue that comes out of those pitfalls. And I think this is very, very powerful what the Lord has shown me here to do that. We don't have time to do it tonight. But let me tell you what, you don't have to wait till next week to exercise your authority. First, you've got to recognize your authority. You've got to recognize the violation of what the enemy has done. You've got to identify it. And then you've got to apply it, I might would say. You've got to exercise your authority over those areas, over those spirits. And you've got to say, you've got to go. You've got to go. You're not welcome here anymore. You're not bringing damage here anymore. Amen? And that's what I want to lead you to do in this closing prayer. So if you would, let's just stand together. Hallelujah. Let's just stand together. Father God, I just pray that through the preaching of your word and the teaching of your word, as your word says, faith comes. So Lord, I know that our faith is at a higher height right now than it was 30 minutes ago. Not because of me, but because of your word and because of the presence of your Holy Spirit. And while our faith is up, Lord God, I pray that each and every person under the sound of my voice would take to heart the seriousness of this situation and not allow themselves to become the dog carrying the tick anymore. Seeing the tick as the, the spirit of rejection. Seeing the tick as that lying spirit that's just sucking the blood out of our lives. And Lord God, that we would see the removal of every demonic influence over our lives tonight. And Lord God, I just pray that by the presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that you would heighten our understanding that we can do all things, all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that you, Jesus Christ, have made us the righteousness of God in you. So the most important thing is for us to be in you so that we can be in position to exercise the authority you've given us to find the freedom and deliverance we need.